the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first five books of the Bible recount for us how the Lord established an everlasting covenant with Israel. That establishment of his covenant included delivering this nation of slaves from Egypt bringing them into the wilderness, giving them his law at Mount Sinai. The people who went into slavery as a family are brought out as a nation. They were the family of Jacob when they arrived in Egypt. And now as they exit Egypt, they are the nation of Israel. And in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Lord is giving his law to these people who he has made into a nation. Although it was handed down to Israel more than 3,500 years ago, there are basic truths in this law that we have at times forgotten. The spiritual health of the nuclear family will determine the spiritual health of the nation. When reading Deuteronomy 6, it is so striking to me how narrow the focus is in the commands that the Lord is giving through Moses. He's giving a command for families. First, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words are to be on your heart. And so it's a command for an individual. Second, teach your children this word. Teach your children these laws. Teach your children who God is. Teach your children God's word. The Belgic Confession, Article 5, proclaims, for even the blind themselves are able to see that the things predicted in the word of God do happen. Where families are saturated by God's word, there is life. Where people are talking about the Bible when they sit in their homes, when they walk by the way, when they lie down and when they rise, where there is a lifestyle saturated with the Word of God, there is life. Even though even the blind can see that the things predicted in the Scriptures do happen. God is faithful to His promise given to Israel in Deuteronomy 6. Conversely, 
where there is minimal commitment to the teaching of the Scriptures, there will be suffering. We can see so clearly in our culture and including in many congregations where the Bible is not proclaimed, the Word of God is not believed, where a lifestyle of saturation with the Word of God is not the description of a people, there is confusion. There is foolishness. There is sin. There is misery. The challenge for us from Deuteronomy 6, which is certainly confirmed in church history, is that while it is good to believe the doctrine of sola scriptura, we are also commanded to teach the Word of God. Not simply to believe it, but to put our belief into actions, to put our, to put our faith to work. This happens in the church, of course. It happens in the church when you gather on the Lord's Day that the Scriptures are the highest authority of truth, of life, and of doctrine. But it must also be happening around your dinner tables. It must also be happening during family road trips. It must also be happening by a child's bedside. It must also be, ha- be happening throughout the school day. It's one thing to simply tell a child that reading is important. It's a whole other thing to sit down with that child and look at every word of a book, teaching them how to read. That's the role of the family in the spiritual sense as well. Not simply to to talk about the importance of the Bible, but to sit with children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, children in our churches, and sound out every word and learn every part of the Word of God together. This is a privilege and should be a joy for the Christian parent. The laws of God are not burdensome. The laws of God are a joy to follow. We, Christian parents, Christian caretakers, get to share with children the wonderful words of life. Herman Bavinck, in the section of the Reformed Dogmatics that is titled The Church's Spiritual Power, interestingly, the first line of that portion of the dogmatics is this. The family is the basic form of human community, combining civil and religious life under the leadership of a single patriarchal prophet, priest, and king. So there he's teaching that Certainly, it is the responsibility of the church to proclaim the gospel, but, but the family is the most basic form of community wherein a father is entrusted as prophet, priest, and king to raise up little ones in the most holy faith. I have heard many people say that to teach something is to truly learn it, and And that's certainly the case when teaching the Bible to children as well. For example, when you tell a child or when you sing at bedtime, God will take care of you, you're confirming in your own mind, God will take care of me. When you sing with children, Jesus loves me, it isn't just for the formation of the faith of that child, it's reminding you that when we are weak, He is strong. How do we know Jesus loves me? The Bible tells me so. 
One of the great blessings of children is that we get to teach them. One of the great blessings of children is that as we teach them, we learn more ourselves about God's amazing works. Before the Reformation, one of the most heinous evils perpetrated by the Roman Catholic Church was the persecuting of believers who were obeying the command of Deuteronomy 6, who were teaching their children the Word of God. In 1519, in the city of Coventry, England, northeast of London, the local bishop of the Roman Catholic Church burned seven people at the stake, men and women. The punishment of being burned at the stake was the punishment for the sin of heresy. And we might ask, what was the heresy that these seven people committed? They were teaching their children to pray the Lord's Prayer in English. Seven people, moms and dads, burned at the stake for teaching their children to pray the Lord's Prayer. So not only was the church neglecting the call to teach children to love the Lord, to live by His Word, but the organization called the church was actively preventing the obedience to God's law in Deuteronomy 6, along with many other executions for similarly supposed heresies, the Roman Catholic Church of the late medieval era of the Renaissance and of the Reformation era proved to be utterly corrupt, not just neglecting the laws of God, but actively punishing people who were obeying the laws of God. The official teaching of the church in that time was that only priests could understand the scriptures, so it would be dangerous to entrust the word of God to farmers and tailors and lawyers and blacksmiths. They weren't allowed to read, much less teach God's word. And this proved the necessity of the Reformation. At times, the Reformation could be thought of as this thing that, you know, maybe it's a good thing that it happened, maybe not. It's almost the way that some more ecumenically minded people think or talk about the Reformation, but events like this, the burning at the stake of seven parents teaching their children, the Lord's Prayer teach us the necessity of the Reformation and the recovering of the gospel and the word of God. The martyrs of Coventry, how would they think about American apathy towards the word of God? These martyrs of Coventry who died, who were burned at the stake, a painful death, I believe would be aghast at the apathy that so many Christians today have towards the Bible. The great gift of the Word of God, of holding it in your hands, of having it in your language, of having freedom to to read it for yourself and teach children and study it together as churches with brothers and sisters. These martyrs of Coventry died to teach their children the Lord's Prayer. Their heroic devotion to the Lord should challenge us to reform our families around the study of God's Word every day. Many years after the ministry of Moses, the Lord gave a warning through the prophet Amos of what happens when there's a famine of His Word in the land. Amos 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and this was certainly fulfilled, 
When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. We could read a prophecy like that from Amos chapter 8 and wonder, well, I hope that doesn't happen at my church. I hope that doesn't happen in our community. I hope that doesn't happen in our nation. And to be clear, I want to be encouraging, brothers and sisters, that I believe that that our churches are full of good teaching of the gospel, of the word of God in all its fullness. But here's a, a bit of a scary thought. If there's a famine of God's word in your home, you won't know if it's being taught in our culture or even in our churches. If there's a famine of it in your home, if you're not living a life saturated by the Word of God, you will be confused about what is actually the Word of God and what is um, a counterfeit, inauthentic version of truth. The American church certainly needs a reformation in this matter. The desire for entertainment in the home has produced a desire for entertainment in the church. So what is the remedy? The remedy is that we would love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in our homes so that we would hunger and thirst more fully for hearing the word of God also in our churches. It's this wonderful symbiotic relationship between what's happening in the home and in the church where we hear the gospel proclaimed clearly in church. It inspires us to read it all week long. When we're reading it all week long, we're inspired to come to the house of God to hear it again in the presence of God's people. Is this happening in the American church? Uh, Studies show that we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much. It is largely happening that many Christians do read the Bible regularly. It's part of their daily routines. But as I was looking at a Pew Research poll, a recent one, some statistics stood out to me that, that were interesting and I, I think maybe a little bit convicting. Did you know that the more money you have, the less likely you are to read the Bible regularly? Did you know that the more educated you are, the less likely you are to read the Bible regularly? That data from that Pew Research poll suggests that a reason people aren't following the command of Deuteronomy 6, aren't reading and speaking God's word when they rise and when they lie down, is that we think we can move past that elementary stuff as we succeed in life, as we get an education, as we succeed in business. There can almost be a a prideful dismissing of God's word as we fill our lives with busyness, with money, and with other plans. So what is at stake here? What is at stake when there's a famine of God's word in the land? What happens when people don't know the word of God and aren't saturating their lives with scripture? St. Jerome, who lived 1,700 years ago, said it so well. Ignorance of the Scriptures is indeed ignorance of Christ. Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance 
of Christ. That quote connects perfectly to the command of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you love Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you love the Lord with all your heart, you'll be hungry for his word. If you love Jesus, you want to know more about him every day. And, and again, it's a, a symbiotic relationship. As you love Jesus and are walking with Jesus, you want to know the word of God more fully. As you know the word of God more fully, you love Jesus more and more. But to neglect the scriptures is to neglect Christ. So let's move now from the challenge to a positive vision of what this might look like. When God's people embrace the call of Deuteronomy, embrace the call of the Reformation to study God's word together at home, whether you live at home by yourself or with a family, certainly this is God's call for us. What always strikes me about Deuteronomy 6 is the regularity of Bible study in the home. Um, I love this, this little part towards the end. You shall bind this word as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's how close to you, how often you're seeing the word of God according to his command. So whether you have a family or not at home, do you, do you love to read the word? The word of God. Opening God's Word should not be an exceptional event for a Christian, but a beloved routine. One of the foundational principles of our Reformed faith is that God is sovereign over every sphere of our lives. And so when you read the Bible at home, you're proclaiming that Jesus is the Lord of your home, that Jesus is the Lord over your family. When you read the Bible um, at work, you're proclaiming Jesus is the Lord over your workplace. Uh, Thinking in terms of kingdom language, to open your Bible in your home with your family is, is like planting the flag of Christ over everything that happens in your house, saying, Jesus is king here. So we don't just talk about him at church. We don't just seek him on Sunday, but Jesus is king here in this home as well. This is the clear teaching of Abraham Kuyper in his great work on living as a Christian pro-reggae. Pro-reggae means for the king. So living for the king, what does it mean to live for the king? In volume two of that great series of books, Kuyper spends a third of the book on family life. He says this about family routines. I, I love this passage. If you want to shape your home life more around Christ and on devotion to Jesus, I implore you to invest in volume two of Pro Reggae. He says, In order for the spirit of piety to be constantly fed, the family must assemble around the word. The communal reading of God's word ought always to strengthen the family's religious spirit. We often do not understand how how the reading of a chapter that seems so far removed from us can nourish that spirit. Isn't that an honest recognition? As our family recently read through the book of Isaiah, small children, there are complicated things in the book of Isaiah, and so we can agree at times with with, uh, what, what Kuiper is teaching here. Sometimes we don't exactly understand how this chapter so far removed from us could nourish the spirit, but... The experience of the ages teaches us that a communal submission to the word exercises a sanctifying and hallowing influence on all of life. 
what Kuiper is saying here is that even when it doesn't always feel like it was this profound glimpse of the glory of Christ and the wisdom of God's word, even when it doesn't feel that way, the experience of the ages teach us this is how we are sanctified, this is how our lives are shaped around the likeness of Jesus. Kuiper then goes on to say later that if a home is truly a Christian home, it must be a place where prayer and the reading of Scripture are high points in the daily schedule. So he says that in order to be a Christian home, this should be happening. How much more could we say that about a Reformed Christian's home? With our lofty, exalted view of the value of the Word of God. Our theological fathers and mothers gave their lives for the privilege to open the Word of God at home. Let's remember that even in the week ahead as we open the Bible together. People burned at the stake to teach their children the Lord's Prayer. People burned at the stake for having um, sewn on the inside of their sleeve the words of Psalm 23 written in the English language. I hope that that doesn't really prompt a guilt complex, but that would inspire us to live in the same way. Now, I hope you'll allow me this evening to challenge you with a bit of a provocative word for our Reformed culture. The Today magazine, the Daily Bread, they can be wonderful tools, wonderful tools for helping your faith grow. But reading the Bible is better. Reading straight through books of the Bible as a family is a better way. Again, the Today, the Daily Bread, can be helpful tools, just like I love to read Kuiper and Bavink and Great Theology can be helpful tools to me in preparing sermons and, and in my own devotional time as well, but the Bible is better. The Word of God is perfect, is sufficient. The Word of God has a power that nothing else has in shaping us, in teaching us the truth. The Belgic Confession said, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word. Through his written word, he has given us as much as we need in this life for his glory and for our salvation. Why would I encourage you to read through the Bible, chapters of the Bible? Because at times, we could be at the mercy of the author in drawing our attention just to certain parts of the Bible that are encouraging and uplifting without seeing those parts of the Bible maybe that we need to see, which talk frankly and seriously about our sin, about theology, about all kinds of things that we might be naturally drawn to but but are there in God's Word for us to know. The descriptions of the Bible of our sin are perfect. We need these sobering moments of seeing a passage of Scripture, of reading a passage of Scripture that challenges us to our core to repent of our sin and turn to Jesus. The descriptions of the Bible of God's saving grace are also perfect, and I find so much more powerful and and loftier than any other description outside of Scripture itself. That the, the grace of God, His love, endures forever. We find these descriptions of God's grace from the Word of God itself and it stirs our hearts to love Him and serve Him more fully. 
The theological works and daily devotionals written since the completion of the New Testament can aid us in knowing the gospel, but none can match or surpass the Bible itself in beauty or authority. So, before I close, I'll address one concern you might have for this encouragement to read the Bible on your own, to read the Bible as a family. Some people would hear a message like this and wonder, won't an emphasis on personal study or on family study diminish people's desire to receive the means of grace in church? This could be, this actually was one of the concerns of the Roman Catholic Church before the Reformation, that if people had the Bible for themselves, they might not feel like they need to come to church. Somebody could perhaps wonder that, um, and, and this is even a trend in American spirituality where somebody could say, I'll just stay off on my own and do my own study instead of receiving the means of grace in the community of God's people. People would wonder, will this get in the way of a hunger and a thirst for going to church? Not if you love the Lord that you read about in the Bible. If you really love the Lord that you read about in the Word of God, you will love going to church as well. All the priests of the Roman Catholic Church who discouraged personal Bible reading did so because they didn't love the Lord and they didn't understand how someone could learn to love the Lord in his word and then be filled with more desire to go and receive the means of grace in church. They didn't understand it because they didn't love the Lord themselves. But people who love Jesus want to think about him, talk about him, read about him at home and at church. The Christian's life is seamlessly woven together. Home, church, work, and leisure are all governed by Christ. I often remind the saints here at Ammon Valley that all God's commands are invitations. That the law of God is spoken of sometimes today as this, this burdensome thing. But brothers and sisters, see the law of God as an invitation to life with God through Christ. The person who is born again in Christ will open the word of God with the enthusiasm of a six-year-old boy opening an invitation to a birthday party. With that in mind, I'd like to reread Deuteronomy 6, hearing these words as God's invitation for you to know him, to live with him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to be with him everywhere you go. It's an invitation into a life with God through Jesus Christ. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And the invitation, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You're always invited into a life with God. Everywhere you go, everywhere you are, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.